Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Is America the greatest country in the world? What does it mean to be a patriot? Every four years, we take a look as a nation at what makes America special, and we decide who is going to lead that vision for the next four years. Today on the program, we want to talk about American greatness and patriotism, and we want to hear from you. In your estimation, is this the greatest country in the world? Is there such a thing as American exceptionalism? And I want to start today with my own story about American exceptionalism. And of course, we want to hear from you all hour about this question. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Also go to the WDET Facebook page. You can put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Is America the greatest country on earth? Is there such a thing as American exceptionalism? And I, I get asked that question a fair amount in my work here at the at the radio station, at the newspaper, on television. And I always give the same answer about American exceptionalism. And it starts with the story about my father, who was born in 1933 in Mississippi. And he grows up in uh, segregated Mississippi, of course, uh, but decides that he wants to serve in the Air Force during the Korean War. And so he signs up. And he goes off to war and serves uh, overseas for a time during the Korean War. And then he, of course, when the war is over, he comes back home to Mississippi. And he comes home to a Mississippi where he still cannot vote, where there are lunch counters where he's not allowed to sit, where there are movie theaters where black people sit in the balcony and white people sit on the main floor. The same discrimination that he faced before he went and served his country during a war, existed when he got back. Things like the GI Bill, which of course gave enormous opportunity to returning soldiers to, to go to college. Lots of African-American soldiers were denied access to the GI Bill. And so that was the America of the 1950s. You could be an African-American, you could go serve your country overseas during a war, and you still could not cast a vote for president of the United States. But then my story casts forward six decades to the time when my children are born in the 2000s. And within several years of their births, a black man, a black man like myself or a black man like my father, is elected president of the United States. My children don't know anything other than the idea of an African-American as president of the United States. That's exceptionalism. The movement of the country across those decades from bitter discrimination, really entrenched discrimination, to the idea of, well, African-Americans can now lead our country. I'm not sure that there's any other place in the world where we see that kind of progress consistently. There's certainly not another place in the world where the foundational documents refer to that kind of movement. More perfect union. Though that phrase that is in the preamble 
to the Constitution. More perfect union. We are always trying to get better. We are always striving to change ourselves in a way that expands liberty and opportunity. To me, that's what makes America great. And to me, that's what makes America exceptional. And as I said, we're going to talk all hour today about what other people think about this idea of American greatness and American exceptionalism. Do you agree? Do you agree that opportunity is the thing that makes America great? Do you agree that liberty and the respect for liberty is what makes America great? Again, 313 577 1019 is the number to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today in order to join the conversation. We'll work your comments into our conversation here on air. We're going to talk with a couple of journalists uh, later this uh, hour who moved to this country from other parts of the world and have been living here for many years. We'll hear what they think about the idea of American greatness and exceptionalism. And we'll hear from a German exchange student who's living here in Michigan about what his idea is uh, of America's position in the global community. But first, let's talk about the history of patriotism and what it means to be patriotic in America. Joining me for that conversation is Jim Grossman. He is the executive director of the American Historical Association. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, So I'm not sure if you heard uh, my my setup there. I have heard everything. But uh, that, that idea of us as exceptional. And and when we say that, I think what we are saying is uh, that that other countries don't have the same possibilities. They don't they don't open the same possibilities for people that uh, that we do here. Even countries that embrace the same form of democracy for instance that we have maybe don't see opportunity as the driving force behind that democracy. The reason to have that democracy is that sort of expansion of liberty and opportunity. Uh, how do you how do you answer that? How do you see that 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 question or that that assertion? That, well, uh, I, I think you have to look at it on a variety of levels. First of all, yes, the United States is is different from other countries. Uh, you could say it's exceptional because it's different. Uh, but there are 193 countries that are members of the United Nations. And I don't think you, I, uh, or anybody, uh, the current president of the United States, the new president of the United States, whatever, I don't think anyone knows, can say that they know enough about those 193 countries. <laughs> all of them, right? <laughs> yes, to say that we are better or worse than all 193 on a wide variety of parameters that one can use for measurement. So, yes, we are exceptional. We are different from other countries. There are things that we do here that probably work better than nearly all of those hundred other 192 uh, members of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And there are things that probably we don't do quite as well as some of those other 192 members. I, I think that what what patriotism means is the commitment to making your country the best it can be. Right. A more perfect union. Yeah, and and so so talk about that. I mean, your your work has focused uh, a lot on this idea of patriotism and what that actually means. It's a little different from what a lot of people might say patriotism is. I mean, I think in some instances we have 
a very juvenile uh, sort of sense of what uh, patriotism is in terms of that you love your country regardless, that you love your country the way a five-year-old loves uh, his or her parents uh, in an unquestioning way. Think of it the other way around. Think of the way a parent loves their Uh five-year-old. When I was raising my children, uh, to love them did not mean to uh, not tell them when they did something I didn't think was the right thing to do. To love them was to try to inculcate in them a set of values, uh, a set of standards, a set of notions of right and wrong, which meant uh, telling them that they were wrong when I thought they were wrong, and they told me I was wrong when they thought <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, but, but when you love somebody, that does not mean standing aside when they don't live up to the standards and values that you've established for both yourself and for them. Yeah. And the same thing is true for your country. Yeah. Uh, that, that patriotism is expressed in many different ways then. And in, in, in from, from your standpoint, voting would be one of them, of course, uh, but also pushing outside the sort of democratic structure for change you see as also part of that, that patriotism. Well, I, when you say the democratic structure, uh, I guess I would interpret that very broadly. Yeah. And so I'm not sure I would say pushing outside the democratic structure. The democratic structure in the United States one of the things that does make it great uh, has been the tradition of dissent, has been the tradition of people being able to speak out uh, for what they believe, uh, whether the majority agrees with them or not. Uh, the First Amendment is very much a part of what makes the United States great. Sure. And so is the diversity uh, that at one time was celebrated less than it has been at others. I think you have to look at the various characteristics of the United States and say, what has made things work? Well, what has made things work is uh, providing opportunity for increasing number of people, which means that to make this nation great, we have to provide opportunity for everybody. Yeah. To make this country great, we have to make sure that everybody can vote and is encouraged to vote. That's that's what making a more perfect union means, yeah. is to take our values and extend them. Yeah. Uh, we have a comment from Brian on Facebook that it's sort of relevant to the point you're making. He says he thinks it's an error to tie patriotism to exceptionalism. They're different concepts and beliefs, aren't they? I, he says he can be patriotic but not believe that America is exceptional and vice versa. He says the danger in tying these together is that any criticism of what America does would then be taken as unpatriotic, and that's very much against what America stands for. It's kind of the same point that you're trying to make, that that uh, we don't have to be exceptional um, uh, to be patriotic. We don't have to accept that America is exceptional uh, to, to be patriotic. Being patriotic means trying to make America exceptional. Well, not necessarily even exceptional. I mean, if there's, Just better. If there's <laughs> other countries that do some things better than we do, then being patriotic would in fact, it might in fact be making us look more like them because they've figured out and we haven't. Yeah. Uh, I think to be patriotic is to do exactly what uh, he is doing, which is he's wrestling with the ideas. That's a patriotic thing to do, to wrestle with the ideas that are at the heart of civic culture and civic debate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tricia in Centerline. 
Welcome to Hi. Detroit Today, Tricia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the the last two, the Facebook comments and, and what you guys have been talking about uh, were great. And, and this question has been something that I've been questioning very deep personally because I think it ties into almost the big divide that we have because a lot of my friends who are Trump supporters, their idea of patriotism and their idea of exceptionalism is is almost like our po- is, is our power to defend ourselves and our power to you know to protect ourselves. I mean it's the same thing, but um, and whereas my view is is that you know we're, we're exceptional because we are able to change because we're able to progress because I was able to you know make something of myself coming from a very poor family, uh-huh. you know with the odds stacked against me. The opportunity was is what makes America great to me. But I mean I do see that being stifled. It seems like by you know our the, who we elected president. Um, but it, it it's I keep questioning you know just how many people think think of it so differently than I do here yeah. in America. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, Tricia, the sort of idea of competing notions of American greatness or exceptionalism and how we how we work through those. Uh, thank you very much for calling and raising that issue. Jim Grossman, uh, executive director of the American Historical Association. What about that? This idea that we do have uh, not just competing, but but opposite ideas of what makes America great and or exceptional uh, right now, and that that makes it more difficult to define, you know, the patriotism that you're that you're talking about, which is uh, the agitation for for improvement. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with there being competing ideas uh, out there uh, in in civic discourse. Uh, if if people agree on everything then either somebody's not thinking or somebody's lying. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is one of the things that does make America great, is this, uh, is this ability for people to disagree and for those disagreements to work themselves out in the, in the political process. Uh, I mean, in this case, let us remember that two million people, that two million more people did not vote for, uh, voted for Clinton, they sure. voted for Trump. Yeah. So it's not as if the American people have spoken in some great unanimous voice for one particular vision of where we should be going forward. This is debatable, uh, and it should be debated. Uh, this, this argument is not new, by the way. This has happened before in our history uh, many times, where people have argued that to be patriotic means, in essence, to squelch debate or to not take certain positions. And every time the position that to be patriotic means that people who disagree should keep their mouth shut or should be squelched, every time that position has won out historically, mm-hmm. we have paid for it. Yeah. Uh, with the perfect example, the easiest example being in the 1950s, uh, because of uh, things associated with McCarthyism, uh, people whose uh, ideas were marginalized, people who themselves were marginalized. Uh, pushed out of the State Department, we went for two decades without the requisite expertise uh, about Asia. Right. Uh, that basically pushed us in all sorts of bizarre foreign policy directions. Uh, it never works <laughs> to push people out uh, because of their purely because of their ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tricia, again, thank you very much for the call and for the comments. Uh, Rashid in Dearborn, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? 
God, you know, really, your your program is so sexy. That's why I pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first time anyone has ever said that to me, Rashid. <laughs> Thank well, you anyway, you know, I just want to uh, put my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. I like your guest when he talked about uh, the point about the greatest country. Yes, we are. I came from Yemen, uh-huh. and I've been in. I used to be a professional soccer. I've been in a lot of country. It's a lot of country have democracy, but a lot of country they change. They scared from change, and this is what's good about America. They don't scare from change, and the change it's like you see that every four, every eight years. Mm-hmm. So nobody's gonna beat the United States because they never scared from a change. Mm-hmm. It's a migration country. We we always uh, every every twenty thirty years we heard. Uh, I mean, it's the heat of the the immigration that certain groups. You know, uh, Italian went through it, uh, Germany went through it. Now mm-hmm. the Arab American is in the, in, in the, in the process, but it's going to change. So yeah. it is the greatest country. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think, uh, Rashid, you express uh, a sentiment I hear very frequently from people who come to this country, and that's why they come to this country is because uh, they feel like it is – a place of opportunity and and freedom, and as you point out, where change is not uh, as much of a threat to stability and sort of the the the, the survival of the country as, as other places. Uh, Rashid, uh, thank you very much for calling and for listening and uh, and for making that point. All right, uh, Jim Grossman, executive director of the American Historical Association, thank you very much for being here for this conversation on Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. All right, up next, uh, we're going to continue our conversation about whether America is the greatest country in the world. Let us know what you think. 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019 is the number. Stay with us on Detroit Today. News, culture, community, every day on 1019 WDET, a different kind of public radio. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. Is America the greatest country in the world? It's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. It's a kind of thing that we debate much of the time. And of course, when we have presidential elections, it's sort of one of the things that we are deciding about. What will the person who is elected do to make this the greatest country in the world, to make this a more perfect union as the preamble to the Constitution says? We're talking all hour about this question, and we want to hear from you. What do you think about America's place in the world. Is it the greatest country in the world? Is it an exceptional place? Is it a place where opportunity and freedom flow in a way that they don't anywhere else on the planet? And even if it isn't, does that matter? Why are we obsessed with this question of who is the greatest or whether we are the greatest? It's a question posed to us by a foreign exchange student from Germany last week. And now we pose the same question to you. Before we launch into our conversation, I want to play a couple of minutes of conversation that uh, producer Laura Weber Davis had with that German exchange student, Nico Nolken. 
My name is Nico. I'm from Germany and I'm an exchange student in the United States. I, um, I'm here as a scholar by the U.S. Congress. Your um, mother, if you will, here in America as an exchange student is our program director, Joan Isabella. And you asked her the other week um, whether or not she thought America was the greatest country in the world. So tell me a little bit about what made you ask that question. Yeah, we talk a lot about politics, like all the time when we are at home, we talk about politics. I don't know why, but we are very political interested. So I wanted to know um, if she or if they think America is the greatest country in the world, because in my opinion, you can't say it like that because there are a lot of other great countries and people here are very proud of their country. And I just don't know it from Germany that people love their country because in Germany we have a bad history and um, people just don't love their country. They don't have their flags out and all that stuff. They, they don't have this pride. And um, we I just uh, don't know how people compare it here to other countries because you love your country and you also want to say... Um, we are the greatest country in the world, but I think that's not, I can't say that's not true, but you don't, I think there's no greatest country in the world. So you're saying that's not even a feasible thing to be the greatest country is impossible for anyone. I don't think so. I think it's, it's possible, but I think there are a lot of um, political things in the United States which should change. And I think um, that. You don't. You have a lot of things here, um, which make you not uh, to the greatest country in the world. Tell me a little bit more about how Germans um, view Germany as in the in the global community. You said that there is a bad history in Germany. I'm assuming you're talking about World War II and uh, an association with uh, a Nazi regime. But every country has its bad history, right? Is it because it feels fresh in some ways because it's not that long ago and I'm just I'm just curious how Germans see themselves in the in the global landscape. Yeah, we we say something like there are some people who say we are proud of not being proud mm. and um we just made this experience and um know that um we know that uh, people who are discriminated just because of their skin color or something else or their religion, it doesn't make sense. And um, there we have this history, but I also don't know why other countries don't talk about it. In Germany, you talk a lot about it. You talk for years in school about it. And it, there are we have three TV channels in Germany, and they have 24-7 not 24-7, but the most of their program is about Hitler. Hmm. And um, you have it in your life. You talk about it, you see it on TV, and um, you you just know that people were proud of their country when that happened. And you know that people loved their country, and you know what happened then. So now a lot of people think you shouldn't be proud of a country of the country Germany and in I think it's it's kind of right because I didn't understand before I came here why should you be proud of a place where you were born 
you can't decide where you are born. Okay, that was exchange student Nico Nolkin talking about his sense of American greatness and the sense that he has in his home country of Germany of patriotism and identity. We are talking all hour here on Detroit Today about the sense of American greatness and patriotism. Is America the greatest country in the world? Is it not uh, an exceptional country? And if it's not, or if it is, why does that matter? Why is that something we talk about as much as we do here in the United States? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Joining me now to sort of expand this conversation uh, are two folks who work in this country as journalists uh, but are both immigrants to the United States. Henning Hoag is a Danish reporter with BT Daily, stationed here in Metro Detroit. He was writing about the campaign, the 2016 presidential election campaign that we just saw come to an end last Tuesday. And uh, Sheikha Dalmia is a senior analyst for the Reason Foundation and a writer for Reason Magazine. Both of you, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Sheikha, I know you had a specific reaction to Nico's Nico Noken, the German exchange student, you had a specific reaction to some of the things he said. Tell me what that was. Yeah, so, you know, there is a um, great deal of misunderstanding about what the term American exceptionalism means. It can be taken to mean American greatness, that it's the greatest country in the world. Uh, I don't think actually that's an accurate understanding of the world. Uh, I mean, and uh, not to say that our political leaders haven't peddled that understanding. I mean, the whole notion of America and its manifest destiny to to remake the world in its own image kind of, you know, uh, flirts with that notion of America as the greatest country in the world. However, the term American exceptionalism wasn't actually uh, something that Americans came up with. It was a term that Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a French philosopher who visited America in 1830 and wrote a wonderful two-volume book called Democracy in America that really every American should read because it, uh, you know, enriches your understanding of America so deeply. And he said that America was uh, an exceptional nation because it had broken from, you know, European notions of feudalism and monarchy and and consciously crafted a republic which was based on, you know, ideas of liberty, equality, individualism, laissez-faire. And so Americans did not necessarily look to somebody else, you know, the government or uh, any outside entity to come and help them. They kind of created their own opportunity, kind of the ethic of, you know, buy your bootstraps is what made uh, Americans. And he also felt that it was very essential to keep tyranny at bay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in fact, Tocqueville said that this ethic of self-reliance was so strong in America that it may actually produce a different species that might become an example to the rest of the world. But that was kind of his, how he saw America. Now, America has actually never lived up to Tocqueville's description, I mean, right from its inception. But it is important to understand what exactly he was getting at. It was a break from feudal norms, 
and creating an, a society that wasn't based on any allegiance to you know an ethnic identity or a linguistic identity or a cultural identity, but as a allegiance to certain ideas to and an principles idea. and yeah. ideals. Yeah. I mean, there are very few countries in the history of the world, in fact, that are founded on an idea rather than uh, a cultural connection or a geographic um, a distinction. I mean, the, the the idea that you would start a nation with an idea is right. is, uh, is if not unique, is very is very rare. Uh, no, it is unique. I mean, there isn't any other country in the world that has ever attempted a project like that. Yeah. And uh, so that's what he was kind of getting at. And, uh, you know, one can debate if America ever has lived up to that ideal uh, that it, you know, set for itself. I mean, after all, as you pointed out, you know, right from its inception, it was based, uh, you know, very much on a system of violence, of slavery, where a whole uh, population was enslaved, sure. uh, you know, with the uh, with the complicity of the state to make some people rich and some people poor, right? And so the notion that there are no hierarchies and there are no classes uh, was, uh, you know, never, I mean, Amer you know, America never even began <laughs> with that. And right. it's worked itself out in Americans history, America's, you know, development since then. But at least the notion was there, yeah. um, you yeah. know, right from the start. Yeah. Uh, Henning Hoag, uh, I'm glad to see you after the election. We, we had you on the, the program several times before talking about uh, how the election and the candidates and the issues sort of looked from uh, the perspective of somebody uh, from Northern Europe. Uh, talk to me quickly about, uh, and, and in those conversations, we talked about the expectations that uh, people in your country have for the United States, people in Europe, the expectations that they have for American leadership, uh, if not exceptionalism. Talk to me about what you've heard in the last week uh, about those concepts in the wake of uh, the results of the presidential election. We do have very high expectations to America, stemming back obviously all the way, especially from after the Second World War, whether the Marshall help, where we can basically thank America for our existence, basically, and not being included in the Soviet Union after that. So, I mean, we love America, but we also are in, we're in awe of America, but we're also very confused by what we see because I think so far we've always looked at America and thought we, we love it and we sometimes we love to hate it. But we also, when, 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 when it came down to it, we always trusted America to make the right decisions because there was always a sound leader, leadership at the top. Now we're not so sure because like you <laughs> yourself as Americans, we, we do not know what to expect. And it's almost like the foundation has been shaked, shaken a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a different outcome than I think the rest of the world expected. Uh, I know when I was in Europe uh, this summer, uh, in Southern Europe, uh, everybody came up to me uh, when they found out that I was an American and, and said two words with a question mark at the end. Donald Trump? I mean, they they were almost uh, flabbergasted at the idea that he would win, and of course, I said, "Well, I don't, I don't think he will win." Uh, and so <laughs> now that he has, uh, I'm sure those people are thinking, "Oh my gosh, that American I met told me something that wasn't true." Uh, but but talk about how much that shakes expectation. I mean, in other words, is this something that that fundamentally changes people's perceptions of America and Europe? I don't think that most Danish people and Americans, or I'm sorry, Europeans, 
really believed that that part of the earth could be shaken because we always thought we had that safe place to stand, maybe stemming back from the Marshall help and after the Second World War. It was almost like an unspoken thing we always believed in and relied on. And, and we were laughing along the way and we were flabbergasted along the way. We were shocked along the way, but we always thought that it would come to the opposite result of what it actually did come to. So I think right now we're almost like the, 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 the clown train has stopped in the middle of the ride and, and we're not really <laughs> sure where we are because we always expected to come out at the other side. Yeah. But now we're kind of stuck in the middle and maybe we can glimpse some light or maybe it's not even light we can be glimpsing right. open that we can see. It might be something totally different. We do not know where we are. And I think it's the same feeling a lot of Americans have because yeah. we always thought the, that the fun ride would be coming out safely <laughs> on the other side. Right. And now we're stuck. Right. Uh, Shika, um, Dalmia, go ahead. So, uh, you know, yeah, here's the uh, word. The irony of the latest election is this, you know, one of the ways in which America has seen it as itself as different and is, see and is seen in the world as different, as your guest was pointing out, is that, you know, we've had two parties and both those parties have had a certain, you know, ideology around which they organize themselves. That's different from the rest of the world where parties don't have ideological identities. And the ideological identity of the uh, you know, Republican Party was that we are not Europe. We are America. We believe in an ethic of self-reliance. We don't uh, look at the government and its greatness to feel great. You know, we, uh, you know, we don't do European welfare. We mm -hmm. don't do European, non, you know, austerity spend, uh, non-austerity spending, deficit spending. And Trump has come and he has taken this, you know, party of American exceptionalism and in some ways, he's making it closer to Europe than any Democrat ever could have, right? <laughs> I mean, his infrastructure spending plans are four times bigger than those of Hillary Clinton. Uh, he has appealed to, appealed to his, uh, you know, white working class voters on an explicit agenda of rejecting the free market system that has defined America, right? I mean, and has defined its ethic of self-reliance. And so, you know, the interesting thing is that this man who's saying he'll make America great again is actually going to make America the same as Europe again, right? Yeah. I mean, and That's it's one of those, you know, yeah, it's one of those really ironic moments in American history. <laughs> we'll see how it plays yeah, out. But I'm not right sure. <laughs> I mean, that sort of gets at the question of whether uh, the people who voted for Donald Trump really understand uh, what it was he was promising them and whether he oh, can deliver on it. Um, right. No, sure. I'm sure they did not. But uh, the point is that they didn't react to it, which yeah. one would have thought they you know, they may, since they are Republicans and buy this ethic of, you know, self-reliance and, right. you know, rugged individualism, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. Lots of people, of course, want to participate in this conversation. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Matt in Monroe, you're next. Good morning, Stephen. Thank Absolutely. you for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the point I would like to make is this uh, topic kind of brings to mind the opening from Jeff Daniels' uh, The Newsroom, uh, the HBO program, uh -huh. uh, where he outlines how America is not great in many aspects. And it also kind of calls to mind the feeling that, uh, or at least the theme that we had with this recent election, that feelings uh, tend to, uh, pun fully intended, trump facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we feel in America that we're the greatest country in the world. And in, in certain aspects, we actually are. 
Um, but I think uh, uh, there's a fine line between jingoism and patriotism, sure. where we consider ourselves to be the greatest country in the world in spite of certain things. But I think this also calls to mind the opportunity for us to um, help make ourselves a better country um, if we can actually start to realize those areas of where we're deficient. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a really interesting uh, point to sort of drill down on, Matt. This idea of limit uh, of patriotism uh, and where it sort of bleeds into the idea of jingoism and and the idea of that convened around uh, fact versus emotion. In other words. Uh, being proud of your country for things that are true is one thing. Being proud of your country uh, despite truth uh, can lead you to to some other kinds of feelings that, that as you say, jingoism, uh, you know, I would say, uh, uh, you know, uh, so these feelings of superiority, ethnic superiority, even that 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 you that you hear coming out of certain quarters in America, are about that that non-fact based pride in in the country. Um, all right, well, I think I lost Matt there, but uh, that Matt, thank you very much uh, for that call. That's a really great point, uh, Matt in Birmingham. Welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh I just wanted to say that what, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful things about this country is the fact that uh, if I were to move to, say, two other established democracies, France and Italy, I could move there, I could marry there, start a family, apply for citizenship. Uh, I don't know if I would ever truly be regarded as an Italian or as a Frenchman. But here, I can... Here I can uh, I can take the oath of uh, the oath of naturalization three days ago, and be just as much a citizen as someone whose family has been here for 150 years. Yeah, yeah I, I believe that that's what makes us exceptional. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 that's certainly one of the things that that is really different about this country than than others. Uh, go ahead, Shikadami, I hear you chomping at the bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know, there's a, you know, there's a great deal of truth to that. I mean, I'm a naturalized citizen. And, you know, one of the things that I've always marveled about about this country is, you know, the complete lack of uh, class consciousness. Um, people, you know, uh, there is no aristocracy over here. You know, you don't, you're not more American because you're born into the Rockefellers and, you know, what have you. <laughs> Uh, you know, anybody in that sense, anyone can be an American and uh, not be regarded as, uh, you know, not part of the inside crowd. I mean, if you make money and, you know, you you make it, it's you're considered to be American and you get the same respect. On the other hand, I think um, in the end, I've got to say this, I mean, in the age of Donald Trump, uh, you know, his war on immigration has been sp- so spectacularly uh, divisive. Yeah. Uh, one wonders if this ethic is of uh, you know immigrants being co- who become naturalized being considered every bit American as anyone else is going to continue. I mean, my son, who's 26 years old now, you know, he was born in America. He has no other identity except for an American identity. But he wonders now because now that immigrants have been identified to be kind of the source of America's problems, uh, the source of you. Know, Work, uh, work, working white class decline, whether people are going to look at him and see him as the 
of immigrants and therefore part of the problem as well. Yeah. Whether this is going to be true in Trump's America remains really to be seen, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's one so, of the things we don't uh, know yet. Uh, we don't know yet. We yeah. don't know yet what he's going to do. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about uh, America, whether it is the greatest country in the world. Why, if you think it is, why do you think it is? Uh, if you don't, why do you think it's not? 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining the conversation. We are talking today about the idea of greatest country in the world. Lots of people say that about America. Some people question it. What do you think? And if you think America is the greatest country in the world, tell me why. If you don't think it is, tell me why not. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. Joining me in the studio are Henning Hogue. He's a Danish reporter with uh, BT Daily. He is here in Metro Detroit. Has been writing about the presidential election here in 2016 and what it looks like from uh, another perspective, another country's perspective. Also, Sheikha Damia. She is a senior analyst for the Reason Foundation and a reader, of, uh, writer for Reason Magazine. Uh, you can join us at three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Go to the Facebook page, the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Henning, uh, I never did just come out and ask you: <laughs> Do you think America is the greatest country uh, in the world? And and is that a, a sense that people in Europe? have of America? The very short answer is no. No. I'm sorry. It's a fantastic... <laughs> you're, you're ruining my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic country, and I love it for everything that it is. And to paraphrase my late, late great idol, Leonard Cohn, it's the place where you have the spiritual thirst and the machinery for change, mm-hmm. and you have beautiful art, you have wonderful science, you have millions of fantastic people but the whole idea of saying it's the greatest country in the world, period, I don't want to discuss that, is not conducive to any kind of development because if you dig in your feet, you're no better than some kind of juvenile Justin Bieber fan who says he's the greatest thing who ever lived. <laughs> and I don't want to hear anything about Elvis Presley or Nat King Cole or James uh, right, Brown right. because I don't acknowledge that they're even existing. It's not very conducive to any kind of development or conversation, which is very, very important in this, the, one of the most fantastic countries in the world. But you cannot, it's like saying that you're, because you met an, I mean, it's like saying my father is the greatest father in the world. I love my father more than anybody, I mean, more than yes. I love anybody else yeah. in the world. That's a great analogy. But, but 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 you cannot, I mean, it's all up to, and I hope that Americans love their country more than they love anybody, any other country in the world. But from there to say that it's the greatest country in the world, period, I don't want to discuss that, is not smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, let's go to the phones again. Rastian. And on the east side of Detroit. Welcome to Detroit. Uh, hello. Good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. So um, what I wanted to say is that uh, uh, according to our president-elect, um, 
with, with his Make America Great Again statements, uh, he himself doesn't believe that America is great. Um, you know, but if I want to speak about some things in our state, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't believe that America is great. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in education, in, in our local area, it's for sale with the influx of uh, charter schools. You know, and then by law with DPS and their, and their restructuring, you know, we've got the, the standards that are not as high for for uh, our educators as they are in other um, in other districts. You know, and then we, we look at, you know, what segregation has done in our state and, and sure. how Detroit is, you know, just separated from, or at least the neighborhoods are from the rest of the state, you know, um, which makes opportunities for, for certain groups and for certain classes of people who live in those areas just just hard to come by. Yeah, uh, I, I think you raise a really, really great point, which is that uh, the, the, the opportunity that's available in America is not available to everyone, and that uh, that it's not only not available to everyone, but that uh, that things like race and uh, ethnicity often define the scope of people's opportunity in this in this country, and so you have uh, lots of people who who are left out because of who they are. Uh, historically, of course, that was true, and then there are of course vestiges of that all over. America and and especially here uh, in the city of Detroit, those things are are obvious. Rastian, thank you very much uh, for calling uh, and injecting that into into the conversation. Let's go to Noel in Allen Park. Welcome to Detroit today. You there, Noel? Oh, Noel, I'm sorry. Noel, are you there? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. Um, I just wanted to. Um, talk about my experience. I am a new immigrant to the United States. Uh-huh. Um, I came from Morocco six years ago. Uh-huh. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, to have the opportunity to immigrate to this great country. I, I, I do believe it is a great country. I don't know about the greatest, but um, when I had the opportunity to, to come here, I didn't hesitate. I was like, uh, yes, I want to uh, build a future in this country. I want to have my kids here. Uh, this is a country that has people living in peace that are um, uh, practicing every faith. Uh, they are from every, um, they have, I mean, so diverse and and they live in harmony. That was the greatest thing about America that I was thinking about. And I was, and when when um, uh, President Obama was elected, I was so proud of being uh, um, a part of this because I was uh, thinking that uh, these people are great because they um, elected a president just because he's the most qualified, yeah. not because of what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you very uh, much, Noel, for that. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, Chica. Uh, I, I, um, you know, just sort of reflecting on the question of America's greatness. I mean, I think, what, you know, exceptional America and great America are two different things, right? At some point, they got conflated. Sure. And I think they got conflated at the moment when America, uh, you know, became a superpower. First, one of two superpowers and yeah. then the only superpower in the world. And so for, I think, about 30, 40 years now since the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, in 89, you know, this notion of American exceptionalism and American greatness have become sort of 
conjoined. And that, I think, is a mistake because as, you know, the founders, as you've pointed out, very recognized very well that, you know, they were working, they considered America to be a work in progress. Uh, They knew the sin of slavery in America. They knew that America would have to grapple with it at some point. And, uh, you know, contrary to what your German student said, I mean, I don't think Americans are uncritical of their history. Uh, You know, the, the history of slavery is very much at the forefront of literally every american's mind right i mean that's yeah, how to deal sure. with that with I'm not sure well i, I mean that. i think uh, i hear from a lot of people i'm tired of talking about that i'm tired of no, hearing about that right no i understand that yeah. what what i meant by that is it doesn't mean that uh, you know everybody thinks that uh, you know we should um, you know keep you know we should consider to feel apologetic about it all i am saying is what our posture towards slavery you know, ought to be, whether we've adequately dealt with it or whether we have not, is something that haunts our political conversations. I mean, you can't, you know, quite get away from it. The whole notion of liberal guilt that Republicans use to pillory, you know, Democrats (laughs) is kind of part of, right? I mean, it's kind of part of a national conversation. And uh, so we are, you know, we do deal with it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, conservatives often say that, look, the difference between Germany and America is that we did have, uh, you know, the civil war. I mean, we did sacrifice hundreds and millions of Americans to obliterate that sin of slavery. That's very much part of our conversation, right? And so, I mean, I, you know, it's it's there. We are dealing with it. All right. That's going to have to be the last word. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me, Henning Hogue and Sheikha Dalmia. And thank you listeners, of course, for your contributions. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. I'll be here tomorrow. Hope you will, too.